Folks, it's your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, in the building with episode 36 of the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back. And folks, I got to tell you, ah, I'm so excited. This has been such an incredible weekend. Uh, A nervous week, but an incredible weekend. Before we get into it, I just want to thank all of our uh, Be More Today friends, our friends and family for watching us and supporting our show. We've been doing so many amazing things. Uh, we see you on Facebook. We see you on Instagram giving us love, and we really appreciate it. Again, our Be More Today website is bemoretoday.com. We have our book, our music, our podcast information, Works for Life, which is on Wednesdays, and our workouts are on YouTube every single week. And folks, I got to say, this year... We're going to be doing a virtual 5K, which you're going to hear about literally, uh, if you haven't heard about it already, it's online. It's called the New Year, New You Virtual Run, January 1st. Uh, it's a virtual run that we're doing everywhere. But if you are in the Brooklyn or Tri-State area, we're going to be meeting in Prospect Park doing that run on the first day of the new year, January 1st at 12 o'clock. So uh, visit BeMoreToday.com for more details. You can sign up. You can run with us. We have some swag on there that you'll, you'll like. We call it More Swag. And uh, join our Strava group on Be More Today. Uh, if you have Strava, it's the Be More Today group. You can go on there and join us. Uh, we are growing, folks. Be More Today show is now heard in 28 countries. And it's all thanks to your support and your love. We really appreciate it. So our donors who are on there, our supporters who are on there, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, and we thank you. My quotation for today is always simple. And it says, growth is never by mere chance. It is the result of forces working together. James Cash Penny. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you were. Um, but November 7th was a day that I think we're going to hold in our hearts for a very, very long time. Uh, we have now confirmed the election of uh, President, soon to be President, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I don't know where you were, but literally I was outside uh, I came outside because I heard honking and horns and people yelling. And I was like, what's going on? And I recognized that something that happened. Everyone turned on the news because it's always been bad news for the last seven, eight months, right? We see people honking. It's been for first responders or people who have been helping us during these times. But to hear honking and cheers and screams, um, I was so pleasantly relieved to hear that it was something that was good, so that was positive. And I am so excited that the new administration is now officially intact and in office and it's going to be a great thing to see and i don't know about you guys um but it's great to feel like america does feel great again um that love does trump hate and you know as a father of a biracial daughter uh who is half indian and half or half half salvation half african-american afro-caribbean uh it's amazing and invigorating and inspiring to watch her watch Kamala Harris on screen, on TV. So I'm inspired. Um, I'm very excited. And I know there's no perfect president. There's no perfect person. Even whatever job you do, you know, you're not the best at it. You may be great, but you're not perfect. We all make mistakes. So um, say what you want to say, hear what you want to hear. This is going to be great for America. It's going to be great for uniting people who have been divided for the last four years, for making people feel at home again in their own country. And as a person of color, as a male, as, as a black man, um, as a father, I'm just happy that America was heard and that the votes did not lie. 
um, and that we now can actually move forward knowing that we as a country can start to rebuild America back to how it needs to be. So uh, I'm super excited. I can't even, I, I can do a whole podcast about this kind of stuff, but I'm just super happy that we came together and got this thing done. And my guest for today is someone who I know shares that same enthusiasm. He's, he's a friend of mine. He's a, an elder. He's so many things. He's a podcast buddy of mine. His name is Ryan Sharp. Now, Ryan Sharp has been practicing law for 16 years. He currently serves as a public defender in Dutchess County, representing individuals charged with crimes who are unable to afford legal representation. He and his wife, Christine, an educator, are parents to three children and many others by informal adoption. He's also the host of the What a Word podcast, which has been very successful and currently features weekly inspirational stories and conversations. Ryan believes everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my guy, my elder, my uh, mohawk, frohawk buddy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Sharp. Ryan, what's up, man? Sean, thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. I, I went from anxiety to excitement. I'm excited to be on here with you today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've been trying to get you on the show for a while. You and I... Hey man, we're friends. We um we met at Kingsborough Temple. For those of you who don't know, we mentioned this temple. I think on both of our podcasts, uh, pretty frequently because it's just sure. a it's an infectious place with so many individuals who are doing great things. So um, it's kind of unfair sometimes recognizing the the amount of talent that is in one building. But we met um during a time where we both were elders. I was a new elder. You were a more seasoned elder and um i learned a lot from you just watching how you interact with people and, and with with um our congregation you, the way you Thank carried you. yourself and even as a father you know we have daughters who are similar ages but you know that your your kids are a little older than mine are or my, my daughter is and i just appreciate your work um you know you and my wife do similar work as in criminal defense attorneys and public defenders uh, although we're in brooklyn and you're not anymore you now live where i used to live in in orange you know in the upstate Hudson valley area so we, we share a lot of similarities um you're not going to my church and you just, so many things <laughs> right. I, I'm just we, we connect and everything from our, our hairstyles to our podcast i'm just really excited for all you've done and i'm happy to have you on the show thank you man that privilege is mine thank you so much no problem. So as I asked everybody, um, how are you doing? What's going on with you and your family? And I always do COVID-19 checks, but I want to do a COVID-19 slash election check to see what's going on with, with the Sharp family in Dutchess County. Oh, man, Sean, I feel, and thanks again, man, you're doing a tremendous job and listeners should just know Sean has been a tremendous resource to me with my podcast. Every question I could think of, I asked Sean. And unlike with the Fitbit movement, he, he's not competitive with the podcast thing. <laughs> I remember giving him my numbers with my Fitbit and he's like, I like it, but I'm not impressed. But, <laughs> <laughs> but with podcasting, man, he's been a true mentor. Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, but to answer your question, um, COVID and the election, man, I, I, I felt yesterday like I could finally breathe. I was unaware of the level of I guess you would call it post-traumatic stress disorder people had been undergoing just with the leadership we, you know, we currently have. And yesterday's announcement was a culmination of, you know, the voter registration drive, young people coming out, parents like you and myself just 
wanting to see the country have a more um, positive direction. And I, I think yesterday, like you identified in the introduction, just merged that together. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful for the next four years. Um, in terms of COVID, um, like many families, we had been on lockdown for a while. Um, kids were out of school and um, my wife and I were working from home. Um, on, or, on or about July, I returned back to work uh, in court and um, been active ever since with masks on. The kids are back in school um, with brief interruptions here and there, um, but for the most part, they're in person. Uh, but we've done, you know, better than most in terms of our pivoting because, you know, we have jobs that allowed us to stay home and work. And uh, my wife is a teacher. So naturally with the, the Zoom and the Seesaw and the different apps that the kids were about, uh, two nine-year-old, my nephew, my daughter, they're both nine and my son is six. And um, so we were trying to maneuver that. And I was able to do that with, well, mostly due to my wife's help. So we've been managing that. Amazing. Yeah, I know Seesaw very well. Uh, <laughs> our, our daughter's school uses that. And it's just, it's great to see the kids who are actually in school, be in school. It's just, it's just different. As you know, when they're in school, it's just a different vibe than just sitting at home and having the Zoom. So I appreciate mm -hmm. for all the educators. And of course, Christine, educator, um, mm -hmm. we appreciate her and all the hard work she's been doing um, mm -hmm. during this time. Ryan, I know that you... Uh, we have so much to talk about. I know you have Jamaican roots, um, yes. but I don't know exactly where in Jamaica you are from. So give me the backstory of, uh, you know, where you're from originally and, and how you came or when you came to uh, the U.S. All right. So I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, most know it as the city area of Jamaica. Um, born there in 1972 to uh, my mom, Gwen Cameron, and my dad, Neville Sharp. I, I only learned after my dad's, because I lived with my mom, then when she migrated here in the early 80s, I was staying with aunts. Um, I would have contact with my dad, you know, visit him on the weekends, what have you. Um, and our relationship got better as I got older. And then I migrated here in 1986 and I kept in touch. You know, I visited the, the, the island often, as you can hear in my accent. It's still very strong. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, started high school here um, in 1986 in Mount Vernon and uh, did college, um, law school, did most of my schooling here. Um, but I only learned after my dad's passing. He passed from pancreatic cancer in uh, 2017, December. And I learned then that he was 19 when he had had me as a, you know, when I was born. Um, and so there was a lot I didn't understand about our relationship um, while he was alive. But it, it kind of made a lot more sense then because he was 19. So naturally, he was trying to figure the parenting thing out. But I look a lot like him. My mannerisms, everything matches him. My mother is also very laid back and very gentle. So between both of them, I... I I inherited this gentle disposition, but Kingston born, um, uh, came here in my early teens and, um, lived in the States, United States longer than I lived back home. Amazing. I didn't know anything about, I mean, I knew you were from Jamaica. I've been to Kingston. I countless times, my best friends are from Kingston. I think all my best Jamaican friends are from Kingston. So, uh, we've been there a number of times and, uh, we love it. And, you know, it's, it's just a place where 
you know, my family's from Barbados and St. Kitts. I've been there before. Um, it doesn't feel like home to me because I'm not from there. But you know, to have a place that's over there that feels like home, I know it just feels different. And I don't know, I'm, I'm going to ask you now, I guess, um, looking at America, now that you've been here and seen all the things that have been happening for years on end, does America feel like home to you or does Jamaica still feel like home? You know, that's a good question. I America feels like home with all its um, its beauty, its challenges, its imperfections. Um, America is home to me. Uh, Jamaica is also home naturally because, um, you know, I have family there. A lot of my history, my early formative years, um, you know, began there as well. But in terms of my life in America, I, I think like most other uh, African-Americans, um, I, I went through a maturation process. Um, I came here not really understanding uh, the evils of racism or that it would impact me. I thought because of the way I was raised that with the Civil Rights Act, et cetera, um, those were vestiges of the past and in the past. And, um, you know, I... I'm learning now because of where I live. I live in a more diverse community. I didn't recognize how uh, segregated my life had been prior to moving upstate New York. Um, for the well, high school was diverse, but um, my and, and law school to an extent. But where I lived, certainly where I lived, was primarily composed of Caribbean or uh, African Americans and maybe um, members of the Latinx community. But I, I, I am still learning about the how racism has evolved. You know, at, at, when I learned about it in Jamaica, we learned about it as a real heart issue. That if people could just love, then we would be fine. Everybody would be on a level playing field. Within the last number of years, I've learned about you know, or understood truly uh, systemic racism, white supremacy, uh, generational wealth, uh, the things that really impact how people live. And just with the, the administration we have now, just seeing how people fought to maintain, um, you know, issues like voter suppression and uh, just the levels of police brutality and the responses from our government when marginalized communities uh, looked for empathy and looked for solutions. I mean, I'm still learning, Sean, about life in America, but for all intents and purposes, um, it is home for me and it is home for my family and Jamaica as well, still home. Mm. So I'm, you know, I'm living in both places and both places I consider home, but America for the most part is home. Gotcha. Now I've been to Jamaica a number of times. I've been to Portland. I think Portland is probably one of the most beautiful places in Jamaica. Um, but you and I share the similarity now of having lived in Hudson Valley. Uh, my family being from primarily from Orange County and yours now in, in Dutchess County. And, you know, we live somewhat opposite lives in the sense that for most of my uh, maturing ages, I was around a lot of people who were not like me. Um, the situation that you're in right now, I was primarily in that situation all through middle school and high school and even college, you know, going to school in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is Rhode Island, you know what I mean? It's New England. And um, now that I'm in Brooklyn, I've been in Brooklyn since 2007, uh, which is a long time, 13 years being here, you know, I'm surrounded, like you said, by that, 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 that melting pot of so many people, so much diversity and, and really 
living in an Afro-Caribbean area um, for most of my now, um, my entire 30s and now going into my 40s. It's just interesting to see, like you said, that perspective changes. And um, I'm curious to know, based on your, 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 your history um, and your growing up, why you chose law and why you chose criminal defense in particular, looking at all the things that we just talked about in terms of how we see America and where you came from uh, and when you are now or where you are now, why criminal defense and, and what was your journey to actually go through law school to, to, to get to that route? Very good question. In my senior year of high school, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and there was a section in the book where he indicated that he believed uh, for some of the solutions in America um, people needed to be engaged in the practice of law. I think he wanted to, or he indicated if he had had the opportunity, he would have you know, wanted to become an attorney because he believed that some of the challenges and some of the solutions could come through the judicial system. Um, so it piqued my interest in law. Um, and like most young people, I had um, you know, watched the movies and just seen how attorneys had... Um, change the lives of individuals, whether they were representing uh, wealthy clients or, you know, what piqued my interest was, were those individuals who uh, represented um, people charged with criminal activity. And so I saw that vision for my life in high school. And so after high school, I went to a college, uh, John Jay Criminal Justice, where I was exposed a little bit more to um, the different areas of law. And I had actually gone into John Jay thinking about law school after, you know, preparing myself for law school. And then, you know, once John Jay, I finished my bachelor's um, to go on to law school. But in between, I started thinking about maybe doing social work because I, I saw within social workers and the coursework that I did in, in, in college, that empathy and that understanding that people were for the most part, a product of their experiences. So that piqued my interest. And I had an uncle who I told about, you know, my desire to do social work. And he says, man, you're not going to make any money. If you want to buy a home, you should do law. And so just that conversation had me shift to law school. But in, in hindsight, um, I could have accomplished many of the same things. My work now is actually a hybrid between law practice and social work. And um, in terms of your question, how did I get into criminal defense? Uh, criminal defense was always an interest, but how I was placed here, uh, it actually chose me. And it's um, a story of just how um, I was doing private practice for a number of years, maybe 14 and change, um, doing general practice, um, representing people in closings, landlord, tenant, doing wills, um, trust, and um, matrimonial, family law. I was doing pretty much everything, but I wasn't a good business person. I was pretty much charging people based on what I thought they could afford, not on my worth. Because in law school, we don't get coursework that teaches us how to, to run a business. So I was, you know, I was at wit's end. I didn't know which way to turn. I had a young family. My wife was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And um, I had a colleague who was in the Hudson Valley, Dutchess County area. She saw an ad and told me about it, and I responded to the ad and um, had a few interviews. Didn't get the position I wanted initially, but a few months later, they called me and told me, 
they had a better position for me. And it required, you know, my work now is as a public defender and I represent individuals who are charged with uh, crimes and many of them are unable to afford legal representation. So under the Sixth Amendment, everyone has a right to counsel um, when they're, you know, charged with a criminal act. So the county employs public defenders here who will represent individuals. And we have so many courts in Dutchess County. So I'm honored and privileged to serve in the city of Poughkeepsie and another uh, town court. And I represent individuals with felonies, misdemeanors, violations, and most of them are unable to afford legal representation. So criminal defense chose me. Um, this The way I'm practicing it now wasn't what I envisioned, but it was certainly what I desired. So I'm, I'm happy to be doing it the way I'm doing it. I understand that. And, you know, as I'm married to a defense attorney, as you know, um, she'll be the, the last guest on this show for this season. But um, the work you guys do is, is it's incredible. It's, it's, it's giving back, clearly. Um, and I've heard many people talk about it, similar to the work that Christ had to do when he was here, um, being the voice for the people. Um, and, you know, whether you believe in Christianity or what have you, there are a number of people who have that same um, mantra, that same life to go out and be the voice for other people. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's captivating to see the passion that you have to have for this particular line of work. I know I see it in my wife every day. I see it in you. And it's, it's, it's just captivating to me. And I wanted to know now in terms of now that you've established yourself in the Hudson Valley, um, what was the inspiration to go private? Because I know even doing law can be um, challenging, right? Working for a firm or working on your own, but in any kind of business, whether you're doing physical therapy or, or law, being on your own can be somewhat daunting. It can be somewhat, you know, scary saying that I now have to make sure that I'm taking care of our family and, you know, there's no one who's going to take care of that or take care of us, take care of me besides me right now. So what was that transition like for you and, and what sparked you going on your own? Great question. Uh, and just in terms of tra true transparency, um, my practicing privately um, was my not waiting on God. I got to be honest with you. I I'd had some challenges getting through the bar exam. It's a story I tell often, but um, it didn't happen for me quickly. In, 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 in truth and honesty, it took me a number of times to, to pass the bar exam. I took that exam six times before I passed. And once I passed, I had been, prior to passing, I'd been doing some contract work, um, you know, where you'd um, look at privileged documents for law firms who are, who are preparing for trial. And that was how I was getting by um, before I got licensed as an attorney. So once I passed, I, you know, I was doing the application thing, the cover letters, and I got so impatient with the process. Nothing was really coming through for me in that short time because it wasn't a long time. And so I had reached out to find out if there were private attorneys who were looking for associates. And I didn't understand the world of practice. And so the, there was a, a willing attorney who had a small practice who says, sure, you know, you can come, you can observe, you can sit in my office, you can see how I interact with clients and we can do that. 
but there was no discussion of um, income. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I was excited for the opportunity, but I hadn't addressed, you know, my need to pay bills and, you know, the student loans were kicking in, et cetera. So I hadn't discussed that. So after a few months of doing that, I recognized that notwithstanding the stipend I was getting, I wasn't being fair to my employer or to myself. So I had some open files, you know, people had, you know, from the church, wherever had said, you know, Ryan, I need your help with buying a home, what have you. So we, the employer and I agreed to part ways and I had all these files and I had no office space. So, you know, I was doing the meet at home thing, the meet in the car thing, signing contracts in the car. And finally, someone says, you know, Ryan, for you to do this effectively, you got to get an office, get you a phone line. And so I got an office space and it started from there. So the client I represented on a home purchase would have, you know, maybe a divorce. So I would represent the client in the divorce or they had a custody issue. They needed a will done. So from one area of law and getting help doing the classwork, you know, asking seasoned attorneys, I was branching off into all these areas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, started off with open files to suddenly having my own practice. Mm. I appreciate you sharing the the test-taking struggle. You know, you and I shared that story together. And um, I knew you when I was going through my own struggles with my, my board exam. And, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to share with people who don't understand the struggle. Because a lot of people, for the most part, take these things and they pass no problem. But there are a number of people who call it what you want, not the best test takers, anxiety, what have you. A number of reasons why people have an issue with taking tests. It's not so much about competency. It's really just about other factors that are in place that, sure. that prohibit you from getting to that place. And, um, you know, I, I took my board exam 12 times and you took it six. And I remember when I was taking it, I don't know what number was when I was taking mine and I spoke to you about it. But I remember you encouraging me. You were one of the people who was saying, hey, look, I took my test six times. I, I would have never known that unless unless we had had the conversation and even for me sharing that at that time i said ah because you know you don't want to tell people because they're going to look at you different they're going to question your your what you're doing if you actually know what you're doing at your job all these different things but um i was i was pretty set that if i shared it would help someone else or at least help me to get through through the struggle and i remember when you told me that it encouraged me it encouraged me to know that okay well Here's this guy. He's doing his thing. And I would have never known that he had gone through this. So I got to keep pushing. And, and I, I think I had gone past number six already when I, by the time I, I, I was talking to you about this. But I do remember you encouraging me during that time. And I encourage others now with the same thing. Just because people are going through this thing. I have some friends of mine who are doing the same thing. Just It's a struggle. But again, once you get past that struggle, it's it's all good. So um, I, I can confirm your encouragement, man, because when I had you on my podcast, you told that story and a listener reached out to me and he says, man, I appreciate what Dr. Sean Thomas said about his struggles, mm. you know, because those are stories that need to be told because so many people see successful people, you know, at the end or near the end, but they have no idea. So the gentleman who re- reached out to me, and I should have shared that with you, you know, because they send me text. He says, man, I appreciated, you know, Dr. Sean Thomas's transparency and his telling the truth about his struggles getting to where he is. So confirmation, man, you are encouraging people as well. I'm happy to hear that. I'm really happy to hear that. 
Um, now, I know you've been doing great work as a public defender, and with this new election, as I talk to my wife about these things every now and then, I know it, it does change um, or affects your job directly. I mean, it affects certain jobs a little more than others, um, but I know it affects your job directly as an attorney. What are some ways that this election, um, other the results, should I say, help or hurt your current profession as a defense attorney? Well, I'm hoping it will help. Um, the practice of criminal defense is uh, complex. It's multi-layered. Um, again, because we are dealing with broken individuals. Um, individuals who, if, and I have to be honest, if I had gone through the experiences of many of my clients, I don't know if I would have made it. Many of my clients are living breathing, walking miracles. And there's not a lot of empathy for people who are broken, unfortunately. So as your as Pi could could probably confirm and identify, and she has already, because I've heard her speak passionately about her work. We meet people who are broken and between us and the judicial system, they're not getting uh, dignity or affirmation. Just generally speaking, um, they're referred to as inmate or um, the, the rap sheet is read out loud in court. Um, so the defense attorney is the one affirming them, affirming their dignity by calling them by their last name, Mr. Smith, uh, Mrs. Smith, um, creating a new narrative, even without knowing them at arraignment. The first time they appear in court, we are identifying the positives, uh, ties to the community, uh, works part-time, parent, uh, student, um, asking for leniency or asking for um, the opportunity for them to go home, even though the crime they're charged with, the judge has the right to set bail. Seeking ways to make the experience better for them, not just the first time they appear, but throughout the process. Um, not disregarding their story or uh, their their perception of the way the world works, but uh, working along with them to ensure they have a better result than when they entered in the system. And my hope is that, you know, our clients will get more empathy. I'm, I'm particularly concerned about the court and the way it's, you know, it's comprised right now because so much of what we rely on, you know, you know, the Fourth Amendment, um, the Fifth and the Sixth and the First, all having to do with, you know, the right to express oneself, the, the right to counsel, um, the right against unreasonable search and seizure. Uh, these are things we are hoping the court will move more to the middle and the left with because, um, but for these uh, laws, our clients won't have um, many defenses because if police officers are allowed to stop and search people just by having hunches about their disposition to commit criminal activities, then young men and women of color or Latinx or people in marginalized communities are going to feel the wrath of the police force, which is not what I believe it should be designed to do. I don't believe because of the way you appear or the way you look, police officers should take an interest in you and violate um, your constitutional rights. So I'm hopeful with this election, notwithstanding how the Supreme Court is comprised, that we will have more empathy. We saw some with the bail reform where, you know, through the legislator and Governor Cuomo, um, we weren't 
setting bail on all criminal charges. And that lowered the population of people who were in jail or in, you know, incarcerated prior to resolving because most people just could not afford bail. So they were in jail just simply because they were poor. But with bail reform, it allowed people to fight their cases on the outside, to continue to work, to continue to to pick up children after school, to drop them off, things we take for granted. But once individuals are charged, uh, these rights were gone out the window. And I, I am hoping and I'm hopeful that we can have a, a Supreme Court and um, leg- an active legislator, legislative body, sorry, that seeks to ensure that the rights of all are, are respected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, so you now live in Dutchess County. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that county very well, Poughkeepsie area. And with the Black Lives Matter movement, with all that's been happening in the news around the world, um, What's it like for you right now as a person of color, right, African-American man, um, interacting with your clients who, and if I know the area well enough, I, I believe I do, um, can be somewhat um, culturally diverse and sometimes not based on where you are. Um, what's the sense of, of feeling in Dutchess County in terms of race relations and how does that affect your job as a defense attorney in the Hudson Valley? Great question. I think one of the challenges I, I I have is I'm wondering what my clients are thinking. I mean, the city of Poughkeepsie where I work is pretty diverse. So you have, you know, African-Americans, Jamaicans, Latinx, uh, whites who come through the system um, with charged with various crimes. I have another small court where I serve um, during the evenings uh, called Beekman where majority of the people charged are white and that community is a little more affluent. But many people engage our services. Um, You know, there's not a big cutoff. So, you know, if you have, you know, some type of income, but you indicate a need, you'll you'll get a public defender. So here I am, um, a guy with a mohawk with uh, an accent. Uh, I'm often wondering what they're thinking when I'm talking. I mean, I try to code switch, but it's, it's unsuccessful. People hear it. You know, I'm trying, sometimes I try to mask the accent and they're like, you have a beautiful accent. Where are you from? And then suddenly the discussion has to do with, a judge even told me, Ryan, your, your disposition is so gentle. I don't know how to say no to anything you ask. So it's, 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 it's me wondering sometimes what they're thinking, but Hudson Valley, where I am, um, I, I think is primarily Republican in terms of the votes. Um, the majority of members of the community are Republican. And we don't have, from the judges themselves, we don't have diversity there. I I haven't seen a judge of color. Um, Most of the judges are white men. And that has its own issue to navigate when I'm representing individuals. but it's it's challenging, one, because there's not a lot of empathy for uh, people who are poor generally. Not a lot of empathy, not a lot of empathy for the stories of people who have hardships. So my work, as I indicated before, is a hybrid between uh, social work, not only in terms of the way I advocate, looking at the person's history, looking at their redemptive value, 
my Christian teachings, my uh, social work leaning comes into play when I speak on behalf of clients. Um, but we also employ social workers in our office to uh, create reports and tell stories about the individuals who are charged. So it's a combination of both of those things. But it is challenging. Um, one, because um, where I am and where I serve, um, there are a number of jails. There is um, high investments in the probation office, which supervises individuals when they are not in jail. Uh, there are a number of police um, entities in the different cities. Um, so there's heavy policing, heavy supervision. Um, one has to be intentional, I believe, especially if you have history about um, maintaining a clean record after you've been incarcerated or convicted previously because there's such heavy supervision and many of our clients are unable to meet or measure up to uh, the requirements when they're on the outside, not because they're not good people, but most people don't do well under heavy supervision. And unfortunately, the way most probation offices are designed, the way the system is designed, there is not a lot of efforts, I believe, in the structures to have people be redeemed and live wholesome lives. Um, you're not going to get a very good job if you have a criminal conviction. So it impacts your ability to earn. Certain felony convictions impact your ability to vote. So already you are on a different track. So when individuals are charged, I'm not only looking at their present or the past, I'm looking at the future and it's daunting because so much of the systems and the structures aren't designed for people to live wholesome lives going forward. That is so powerful. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless because I, I know from my wife's perspective, the emotional attachment that comes with this job. Um, and as you d described from your perspective, being in that area, um, everyone's perspective of you is different, which I completely understand. Um, my last question about the, the legal realm for you is, is I know that uh, at least down here in, in Brooklyn, most of the public defenders work for an organization, right? Either work for the city um, or some kind of area that is funded by the city that allows them to give representation to anyone who does not or cannot afford. Um, you being a private attorney, how does that differ? As in when someone gets arrested and they say, if you don't have an attorney, we'll give you one, or won't be provided to you. Is that still you? Um, or I'm not sure how, how you get paid from this if you're not with the state or with the city, et cetera. And, um, do you feel that when that is assigned to you, when someone is assigned to your, to your, or when you're assigned to somebody, is there any kind of stigma or um, any reverse stigma where they think that you're great because you're a private attorney as opposed to one that may be provided by, by the state? Because I know that sometimes when people say, oh, you have a public the attorney given to you, their thoughts is, well, if they're free, how good can they be? Um, and I know that that's a very big deal because all attorneys, you know, are good, especially the ones that we have in certain areas like this, where that service is given to someone who 
may not actually be able to afford it, but it's given to them as a courtesy or a service due to, you know, because of the state. So do you get that same experience or does that happen differently for you upstate? So my work as a public defender is full-time. So once I got hired, I had to close my private practice down. So I'm not allowed to take private cases. All my cases now are assigned by the county and the county has a budget that covers our salary. So I'm a member of an office of public defenders who cover different courts and our salaries covered by the county's budget. So I'm not allowed to take any cases on the side. I'm not allowed to represent any of my clients privately for pay. Um, the county covers the budget um, so that our clients don't have to worry about that. And with that being said, the volume is pretty high. When I started off, I had maybe 200 cases. And um, when when my secretary at the time said, you know, here's your office. These are your files. You have about 200. I thought, am I being punked? You know, it 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 was daunting because when I was in private practice and I went to court, at most, I would go with two, three files at a time. When I'm in court now, um, the calendar is huge. I have, you know, up to 40 cases at a time, and I'm intimately familiar with each one. That happens over time. But you know the, you know what's happening with each, you know which entities are involved, whether somebody's being, you know, screened for a program or they're doing anger management. We have a lot of domestic violence cases and those are ticked up with COVID. So, you know, did somebody violate an order of protection? We're dealing with numerous issues. And um, so that's covered. But in terms of your question about the perception of public defenders, I'll be honest, many individuals feel that we are not real attorneys. Um, You know, the fact that we offer the service for free on behalf of the county has its own stigma. So uh, many of our clients believe that uh, we are more interested in pleading them out rather than fighting cases um, it's 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 reasonable, but an unfair uh, view, I feel, because I think public defenders do uh, the greatest work. We are doing a lot with a little sometimes. We are tremendously resourced because we can hire investigators to speak to witnesses and um, complainants or people who are victims. We have social workers who can do reports, who can engage people in housing or get people in programs to give them better res- resolution with their cases. But the stigma is certainly there that perhaps we didn't go to re-law schools or the fact that we are serving the poor means we couldn't get better jobs. Um, and that is, um, unfortunately, uh, the perception of, of people who serve the poor. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say many of our clients who come through the office uh, get the best representation. They get empathy. They get... Um, a willing ear. They get advocacy in the court. Many of the uh, clients I have had, you know, even with rocky starts, and I've learned as an attorney um, to better deal with people, especially doing this kind of work, because many of them have been told or have been given the impression their word means nothing, their life means nothing, their future means nothing. And, And I have to affirm them. I have to validate even their opinions, and I have to advocate in court sometimes positions that I don't believe will get anywhere, but because the client asks me to do it, because that's the only opportunity that client has to drive the car. And if I can help them to accomplish that, 
then I'm building the relationship, um, improving the relationship. So that's something I had to learn in terms of my work, that even though I was the lawyer, but for grace, I could have easily been on the other side. And I'm the only one many times who's going to give empathy or affirm the client who is going through hardship. Uh, so the perception is there and it's reasonable, but I think you know people who are represented by attorneys who cannot afford it, they get some of the best representation. I mean, that's what I've seen. Folks, if you're just joining us at this time, episode 36 of the Deep More Today Show, I'm here with public defender in Dutchess County, Ryan Sharp, uh, elder, uh, and he's also the host of the What A Word podcast. Now, if you have not heard the What A Word podcast, it is just that, What A Word. He brings on people who are sharing their own stories and Every single story is different. Every single testimony is different. Every single uh, depiction of someone's journey is captivating. And Brian, I wanted you to just talk to people about what inspired you to do the show and, and why what a word for this podcast. Well, I had been wanting to do a podcast for some time. It sounds like the, the anchor part of the segment where I've wanted to do a podcast for some time, but I didn't know where to start. That's the truth though. <laughs> I, I had been listening to podcasts over the years and thought, man, this is a medium or a platform that can do a lot to improve the lives of others. And then you started yours and I'd been a fan of yours and I had been listening and then COVID happened. And I thought, what better time to get engaged where I can inspire through conversation? Because that's the goal of my podcast, like yours, to inspire listeners through conversation. And you and I are from the faith community. We know so many individuals with compelling stories. And some of the stories I had no idea about until the actual interview. Like I thought I had known people's stories and I'd ask a question and I was like, wow, I had no idea. So just getting the info and as I indicated to listeners, Sean was very helpful, uh, learning to set up the platform and, you know, learning to interview and learning to be an active listener. Um, people have no idea the difficulties in doing these episodes every week, but Sean, I'm sure you can share stories about the challenges, but also how inspiring it is to release an episode and have people give you feedback like you know i was going through this or i i was dealing with this challenge or i listened to your podcast while driving while working out while working and i'm inspired by what you do and so it's been an honor for me to release episodes and i had no idea about analytics i just thought people who did podcasts release them and people would give feedback but i didn't know you could keep track of listeners or places. You know, this simple idea is now so far reaching. And I have listeners who engage me each week to say, keep going. You know, I love what you do. Keep at it. You know, thank you for putting this guest on. I connected with his or her story. And it's, it's been a joy. It's been a labor of love, I like to say. So that's, that's in essence why I started. And during COVID, you and I could... Uh, probably agree that people needed to hear good stories and have inspiration. Um, people were waking up in our country not knowing what was going to happen on any given day. 
I mean, regardless of where you were on the spectrum, I think everyone, whether you love the government that we currently have leadership, you want it better for your family. You wanted a better hope, a better future. You wanted to teach them things like dignity and character and truth telling. And you wanted inspiration from somewhere. And I believe what you and I do, we're, we're, we're filling that need and we're doing it with different frequencies because even though your show may be a little different from mine, we're still meeting the needs of individuals who need to be inspired. So labor of love, honor to do it. And um, it's just been a blessing. Well, I love the show, Ryan. I really do. I hear it every single week. Um, Thank you. And I'm always uh, happy to see that you're, you're growing and that things are just continuing to move forward with the show. And folks, I'm not going to lie to you. I started the show before Ryan, and Ryan and I are now on the same episode number-wise. So Ryan was hustling. He was getting these episodes in, which I'm very excited about. Um, but like you said, it's definitely a labor of love. But every time you put one out there, you're just so happy to share it. And it's great getting feedback from people when they actually see it. And it's also good to see people who are interviewed, who, you know, I was on a podcast years ago for the first time and I was so nervous, so happy to do it. But everyone should be on a podcast. Everybody has a story. So it, it's not something that should be exclusive. I mean everyone should be able to share their story sure. in a way that can be put out there for it to stay there forever. I mean it's it's a timestamp now. These episodes that we're putting out there are gonna be there, hopefully, for years to come where our, our kids can listen to us talk to these people and also be inspired by them. So Good point, man. It's our legacy, you know. It's a legacy, exactly. It is. It is. It's a legacy. It's a legacy. So, Ryan, as you know, I know you you purchased my book, Be More Today, and I appreciate you so much. And in the book, we talk about these steps to greatness, things you want to start doing, stop doing, goals for our lives. But the theme is always about the same, about Be More Today. So I'm going to ask you, like I asked everybody else, when you hear the phrase, Be More Today, what does that phrase mean to you? The phrase be more today for me means that there is always, and you guys capture it well when you say the rest of your life should be the best of your life. I, I love that caption that you guys do towards the end on each episode. I think that is the essence of being more today. Um, many of us had bad starts, missteps, decisions we could have made differently, but your future, your going forward can be better. Um, not only because um, you have the potential, but because there are others who can support your dreams to have a better life. Mm -hmm. And there are others who won't judge you based on your history. Um, we are most often harder on ourselves than others are. And I think being more today simply means regardless of what happened in the past, we can build on those mistakes. And I think we had a great example this past weekend hearing about the, the work of uh, Stacey Abrams. She lost the election when she ran for governor. And this lady had many opportunities then. She could have gotten a really great position just living her life, you know, just doing what she does best. But she thought, I could improve the lives of others. I've learned some lessons by this defeat. And we learned 800,000 voters were registered due to her advocacy and the organizations she started. So it simply says to me, regardless of your losses, your missteps, your trauma, your hardships, 
there is an opportunity uh, to improve on that going forward. And that happens with, with prayer, with therapy, with uh, support networks, but the opportunity is there. And I tell even my own clients, your record, your history is not who you are. Even this charge, in my mind, is not who you are. This is just your charge. This is just your history. I believe the rest of your life can be the best of your life. So that's what being more today means to me. Now, Ryan, in the book, I talk about people doing the steps to greatness. I call them S2Gs. It's basically a start, a stop, and a goal for your life for the year or for the next year. So what's one thing that you wanted to start doing this year or want to start doing for 2021? Oh, there's so many, Sean, but I'll tell you one right up front. I am trying to get out of debt. Just last Sunday, my wife and I met with a financial planner. She was also a guest on the podcast, and we started identifying ways that we can improve our credit. Um, we're doing pretty well, but we have hopes and plans for our family that, you know, the way the society is set up, if you don't have generational wealth, then you have to be that person that does it for those coming behind. So we've begun having discussions about um, improving, you know, our credit and possibly purchasing some real estate so that we can um, have something prepared for our children and for ourselves, our lives can have better quality. And I'm also looking at um, engaging more with therapy. Um, I did it before when I was preparing for, practice you know it was something somebody suggested would be a good idea to do but as you will identify in my line of work um, we deal a lot with compassion fatigue where um, if you are empathetic and you connect with people there's a risk that you can um, be emotionally impacted by the struggles of others so I'm thinking of engaging more in in personal therapy I believe it's something that um, can be more useful. And I believe it's something that, as I identified in being more today, can help more of us to connect to the better part of us by addressing our triggers, addressing our shortcomings, addressing uh, things that have us feeling lower than we should feel. That is something I'm hoping, you know, I've reached out to an individual already and I'm going to engage um, his services, hopefully going forward. Because I believe everybody needs a checkup from the neck up and certainly doing more exercise. Um, there were Sunday mornings like this where I would turn on Dr. Sean Thomas and um, I would engage and I felt so good. But the last number of Sundays, true transparency, I haven't. So <laughs> I plan to do more physical activity as well. I think the full body has to be engaged in some activity to function well. So um, I know you asked for one, man, but I have a number of things I plan to, to be more today and to do better. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. What's one thing you want to stop doing for this year or for 2021? Um, I, I have to um, do better with bedtime scheduling. Naturally, with all that's going on in our country, I've been so engaged in the political process and going to bed late, getting up early. I don't have a set routine with rest. Um, many of your listeners will probably identify that you and I are from the same faith community. So the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to recalibrate, so to speak. But I have to do a better job just getting the six to eight hours of sleep um, daily. 
I haven't been doing a good job of that. And, you know, I want to also read more. I believe I could, if, if I'm organized, read at least one book a week. I believe engaging in um, reading, you know, fiction, nonfiction, devotionals like yours will do more for my mind and more for my um, ability to um, inspire others. So that's something. Normally I'm reading books because I'm going to interview the guests. So I'm reading the book, but I have to find a way to do more reading so that I'm, you know, engaged and uh, I'm keeping up with issues and I'm more empathetic and I'm more in touch with, you know, what's, what's, what's hurting people who are marginalized, et cetera. And then one goal you may have, and it, it may be the, the realty thing um, or the working out already, but one goal you may have for 2021 or for the rest of this year. Oh man, I, um, I'm thinking of, um, I bought a guitar, an acoustic guitar a number of years ago, <laughs> and it's collected a lot of dust. Um, I'm thinking both of my children um, do piano lessons. I'm thinking of um, picking up an instrument. Um, I've, I've indicated to you before that there's no place like Kingsborough in terms of worship. Um, the, the church that I currently attend, the, the worship is not like Kingsborough, but it's an unfair comparison because Kingsborough is a, a unique place. It's it's heaven on earth. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I hope to engage in guitar lessons so that I can lead worship. Um, that is my goal for 2021. 2021. Wow. <laughs> Brian, go for it. You know, my, I remember this, my uncle Joe, my, and I don't talk about my family on these shows, but I probably will next season a little more. My uncle Joe um, was from the West Indies and every, I remember going to his house um in Queens, uh, we would go to his house for Friday worship, and he had a guitar. And every Friday, he would lead worship with that guitar. I was probably maybe five years old. But I remember Uncle Joe and Aunt Fina uh, singing, and us all singing, him playing that guitar. And there's something about it. I mean, I played saxophone for a while. I It's, it's over here in the corner. <laughs> but um, there's something about the guitar and worship that makes it there's something about it, and, and, and maybe a West Indian thing. I'm not gonna lie to you, because um, it's not a country thing in that aspect. It's definitely like a, a cultural thing where something about the, the guitar can really bring uh, a certain energy to to the worship. So I I I, I affirm that. I say go for it. I can I can see you rocking out with the, with the kids and your kids on the piano too. I think it could really work. Because um, you and I sing, Sean. I've heard you singing during the workouts when I'm in mind, but you know. <laughs> Kingsborough had such talent. We were not going to crack that ceiling, man. Yeah, but I think you know. I see an opportunity here where I can engage in worship. And, um, you know, um, I think it's important for our kids to see us participating and engaged in church or mm. in, in um, ministries. And you do that. You know, we, we had opportunities to do that at Kingsborough. And I'd, I'd want that for my kids, for them to see daddy engaged. Uh, my wife deserves that as, you know, to see her husband leading not only in church, but at home. And that's something else that, you know, needs to be improved. You know, um, the devotion, leading that, calling the family to worship. Um, but certainly, man, um, yeah, I am hoping to get that done for 2021. 
I see you. And the, and the beard. Some basic it chords. Yeah. <laughs> the beard, it's going to work. I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, any, any final tips you want to share with aspiring defense attorneys um, like yourself or anyone who is uh, looking to get into the law um, and may not know how to make that first step or what to do to get there? Uh, find, a, find a mentor. Um, I know it's difficult, especially for people of color, um, to find someone you connect with. Um, but if it comes down to it, just finding someone who will, who has the willingness to guide you through your journey, whatever the journey is. Because when I started out, um, certainly I just wanted to learn the different aspects of law. And I had mentors, people who were proficient in those fields who walk me through it. But for those who are looking at criminal defense as a possible vocation in terms of practice, I would say the Public Defender's Office, Legal Aid, Brooklyn Defenders, Bronx Defenders, any of these non-for-profit or county or city employment agencies are probably the best ways to go about doing it. You will have um, a more expansive caseload in terms of what you're seeing. Um, I don't believe one should only be uh, able to get experience or representation because you have the income. Um, I, I think if you are an attorney, you can certainly see the best of what criminal defense has to offer in terms of the defense, um, legal aid, public defender work, where people have nowhere else to turn. You're going, you're going to be impacting lives in ways that you can't imagine. And I'll also like to say, you know, on your own journey, whether it's law, whether it isn't, um, God has a way of bringing us to where we need to get to. You may have identified in your own life landmarks or uh, symbols that point to where success is or where it leads. And God may be taking you down a different path. And you may be in a holding pattern. It doesn't mean you're less successful. It just means that God is working something else out. There's no one track to success. God has a number of roads. Um, you've seen that meme where you're, you know, you're thinking it's a straight path and God has, you know, a zigzag and he has a number of ways to help you to accomplish the goal for your life. And it'll blow your mind when you get to that point. Cause I never imagined I would be here today doing what I'm doing, but God worked it out. I was just open. I kept my options open and I was willing to move when he said move. And that's something I identified. I wasn't doing a good job of when I was younger. I didn't know how to wait. And it's still something I have to work on. But God used my impatience. He used my missteps. He gave me a testimony through the challenges with the bar exam, which I share whenever I have an opportunity. And now I'm doing work that I wouldn't trade for the world. It, 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 it gets me up in the morning. It inspires me. Um, it's challenging, I won't lie, but um, God God has really been good to me and my family. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ryan. Where can people connect with you uh, on social media or otherwise? Okay, so on Instagram, it's at Sir Sharp, and Sharp has an E on the end, at S-I-R-S-H-A-R-P-E. It's also um, at What A Word Podcast. That's also my handle. I'm on Facebook, Ryan Sharp. Um, LinkedIn, Ryan Sharp, um, Twitter, at Sir Sharp. 
Um, and those are ways that, you know, you can follow my journey. Ryan Sharp, thank you so much for being on the show today. Folks, if you have not checked out the What A Word podcast, go online right now. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, like it, subscribe, anchor, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're podcast buddies, we're elders here. We got to support each other and you will be inspired, I guarantee you. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, man. I had a blast and keep up the good work, man. You know, you you were the trailblazer and... um, you know, we're following, man. We're following your journey as well. Keep up the good work. I'm inspired by not only what you're doing, but Terrence as well. Um, we're the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday guys. We're that triumvirate. You hit it Monday. I'm Tuesday. Terrence is Wednesday. And I think between the different platforms, we are inspiring and encouraging others. So keep up the good work as well, man. You're an that inspiration. So true. That's so true. I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so, so much. Folks, if you uh, are, have been here the whole time, episode 36 is now in the books. And don't forget our quotation for today. Growth is never by mere chance. It is the result of forces working together. The same way we came together and made our votes known, change was done. And we got to make sure that we continue to do that. It's not over. We're just getting started now. So we got to keep pushing. Uh, for those of you who had all kinds of talks, you want things to get done, now's your chance to put your money where your mouth is and get out there. Be part of your community. Um, get out there and, and start volunteering. Do whatever you can to help us get better, to make America the way that we want it to be. And if you heard Ryan Sharp's testimony at all, if you're going out there and you're seeing struggles, you will get through them. Uh, just be patient and continue to push forward. And let's just try to be better, uh, better people for our families, like we're talking about on this show, and the people for our community and for our future. Uh, again, folks, Be More Today is found on everywhere, but just check out our website, bemoretoday.com, for our music, book, podcast information. And if you want to be a sponsor or support us, email us at be more today. that's be more number two day at gmo.com, or anything on social media as well. You can find us no problem. The Words Fly podcast is every Wednesday, like Ryan said, and check out his podcast every single Tuesday and the Be More Today show every single Monday. Three days, three inspiring words. You can't miss it. Start your week out right with us, and we'll get you through the rest of the week. Folks, as I always say, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great life, and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. Peace. I'm gonna be a better version of me